morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome back to Fail Up Africa, the podcast where we talk about all things failure. My name is Bon Fusumina, also known as a local noisemaker, international MC, voice of enjoyment here on the Paradise Island of Mauritius. I will be your co-host for today as we unpack and get real about all things failure. You heard that right. Here on the Fail Up Africa, the podcast, we create spaces where we share stories and experiences dealing with and learning from failure. Each of our episodes, we sit down with a new guest or a set of guests to unmask what it really means to fail and what we can do about it. We hope all of our listeners enjoyed our previous episode with Fred Swanica, CEO of the African Leadership Group. And his story really drove a ton of conversations you know, on and off the Philip Africa space. And it's been so awesome to see how so many people have been engaging with the content and the conversations around dealing with and learning from failure in the context of Fred Swanica. Today's episode, we bring together two very fantastic guests joining me here in studio. And similar to what we usually do, we unpack things from schooling to academics, to careers, to starting a business, and even personal relationships, you know, really dig deep into what failure looks like in all these different contexts. So without further ado, I would love to introduce to you guys, my partners in crime here today. Joining me on my left is a senior analyst at Nia Delta. She is a learning experience designer and analyst with a keen interest in transformational leadership and decolonized education. She is also passionate about women empowerment and active in matters queer activism. Ladies and gentlemen, I love your help in welcoming Jerry Wainaina. Hi, Jerry. How are you doing today? Hi, Omina. I'm good. I'm pretty excited to be here today. That's a whole sort of introduction. I'm like, is that me? <laughs> Same. Thank you so much for being here. And Jerry is also, has also interned as the learning experience designer at the African Leadership University and lead facilitator at the Alan Gray Entrepreneurship Challenge at Graceland Schools. So the Alan Gray Entrepreneurship Challenge is actually how Jerry and I met back in 2019 during my first gap year out of high school. And we're going to dive into a bit of her work there. But before we do that, I'd love to introduce our next guest on the podcast. He is a member of the African Leadership Academy's 2020 graduating class and is currently enrolled at the African Leadership University, pursuing a degree in international business and trade. So me and the guests are schoolmates, but in different campuses. That's sort of one of the, the correlations here that we're seeing. Uh, he's also a learning experience designer at Nia Delta, and he helped develop a graduate level diploma course in strategic leadership and management for the Rwandan National Police. Hey, 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 hey. We brought in the big guns today for this episode. Without further ado, guys, join me in welcoming Shedrach Dandak. Shedrach, how are you doing? Thank you so much, Amina. I'm doing really great. I don't know about big guns, but you know, we can push it. <laughs> love to hear it. Love to hear it. So today's conversation is going to revolve around communities, right? And the influence of the different communities that we are a part of or, or have been a part of over the course of our lives has influenced our view on failure. So, But before we head into that, I'd love to build context into this conversation and 
give the listeners an opportunity to just get to learn a bit about um, you and Jerry and Shedrach. I'd love to start by one of the things that we noticed in our previous episode with Fred, and that is the fact that, you know, some of the earliest experiences that we had in our childhood and in our upbringing have really shaped who we are today, not just with our view on failure, but the careers that we stepped into, the people and relationships that, that we create with those around us the career spaces and workplaces that we enter. And I'd love to kick it off with Njeri. I'd love to hear just a bit more about yourself and what are some of the earliest experiences in your upbringing that you feel have really contributed to who you are and what you do today? That's such a broad question. Like when I think about it, I'm like, okay, uh, what, what aspects of myself should I talk about? But I think in addition to what you said, I grew up in a small town in Nyahururu, Kenya, right? And I also happen to be the only girl. So I grew up mostly around men. And I always tell people that has really shaped how I perceive life. Um, I always look at life from a very gendered lens. Uh, and if you have any conversations with me, so things that are going to be very apparent, right? Um, in terms of like I, uh, what I think were the communities that really formed my ideas of failure, I think the first one that comes to mind immediately is actually where I went to school, right? I went to school in, in my small town again, and living in a small town means that literally everyone knows each other. So if you fail, everyone knows you failed, right? And it didn't help that my parents were both teachers, and I'd always like get this question on how can you fail and your parents are both teachers. So I think the first community that really shaped my understanding of failure was school, um, and particularly the school that I went to. And I remember at around grade four, we'd get ranked and put into classes based on our merit, right? So if you're like top students, you're in one class because you compete against each other. If you're not doing too well, you put in one class and compete against each other. Unfortunately, I didn't do too well. I wasn't doing too well. But yeah, I don't want to go too deep into it. But I think that's where my first understanding of what failure meant came from and the repercussions of failing because we got treated differently. I remember how our teachers would speak to us compared to like the top students was really different. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And that is really building context into the next bit of our conversation, right? I think I definitely relate to the aspect of getting ranked in our schools. And there was always a debate every year in the ministry as to whether it should be should be removed, whether it should be emphasized, for lack of a better way to put it. But I think one of the things that really came out of that is conversations such as this, right, where we we assess some of the systems and, and structures that were built into some of these communities and whether they as five to 10 year case studies, we can agree or disagree that they were, that they were helpful. As we get into the meat of this, um, Sherlock, I'd love to welcome you to just share a bit about, you know, the context of, of your earliest experiences and some of the things that really stand out and, and you feel like have shaped your perception about failure and the work that you do today. Thank you so much again. I, I usually tell people that in Jerry and I are twins, um, just born on different parts of the continent. I was listening to Jerry and, you know, I was just taking notes and realizing I also come from a really small town, but in Nigeria, not in Kenya. And both my parents are also in education. So you can see, you know, pretty much the same person. <laughs> But thinking about my earliest experiences, I think one of the things that stood out for me the most, there's two things. The first was my parents never used to compare us to other people or each other, right? But as I grew up, I I constantly had people comparing me to my elder brother, right? People outside the house. And so it got like 
really intense because now there was this pressure to live up to him or right? be as good as him or even you know try to be better I don't know how I'm doing on that yet but I know that's one of the things that pushed me a lot growing up but another memory that stands out for me I remember just when I transitioned out of primary school and into what we call secondary school in Nigeria in GS1 which is the very first class in the very first term of my very first class in secondary school I came ninth place, right? So I was ranked ninth in the entire class of about 50-something people, which normally would be somewhat impressive, except I had come from a primary school where I was constantly ranked first or second, right? So it was, it was a big blow for me, um, or at least that's what, what I thought at that point. And I remember my mom said something to me. And she she when we had a conversation about it, she said, you put in so much pressure on yourself and you're not allowing yourself to grow in this new space, right? It shouldn't just be about what you're able to achieve, but how much you're able to grow in this new space, right? And so that constant reminder that going into new spaces, you should allow yourself to sort of like grow has also really influenced the way I see things. Shout out to your mom, Shadrach. I think that's a beautiful takeaway right there. For those who are listening in, if, you're, if you have your notebook right next to you, you can replay this a couple of seconds back to hear that one more time. But I think one of the parallels I'm seeing, I'm seeing here, here with the both of you is that there was, a, there was an educational foundation in the household that really guided some of your outlook of life away from the household. Because as we were doing research, as Philip Africa, one of the things that we discovered in an anonymous survey and focus groups with young Africans from about 17 different countries is that there are varying definitions about failure, right? And this is informed heavily by the context in which you're raised in, as well as the communities that in some aspects are very cultured to a certain degree, right? Depending on on the context that you're looking at, but then also gendered. Jerry referenced this aspect in her upbringing of being raised by brothers and sort of how that influenced that aspect of things. I'd love to hear just a bit more from Jerry on that one. But Shadrach, you mentioned something about the growing element, right? And how important it is to focus on growth as we step into new spaces. I'd love to hear a bit about how your relationship with the people in your household, you mentioned that your parents never compared you, but society to some extent compared you with your brother. How did that sort of manifest in different spaces outside the context of the household in say school in say the neighborhood as some of the earliest communities that as people growing up, we were a part of. It was a bit scary at first, right? So going out from this, it was strange going out from this, sort of like shelter of my household where I had grown comfortable in a space where, you know, I could just be me and not have to be put in comparison or competition with other people, or at least not in an unhealthy way. And then going out to the world where, you know, it seemed like that was just the norm. I remember very early on, just around the same time I started in secondary school, I went to this market with my family, right? And we we came across this random stranger. He was selling belts. We went to buy belts that, that day, amongst other things. And, you know, after a while in his shop, everybody was walking out and I was walking behind with my mom and he pulled me to the side and he goes, 
you're going to be really great. You're going to be greater than your brother. And I'm like, you don't know who we are. You just matters, right? But getting those kind of statements from strangers made me sort of like question, right? You know, is it that my parents have just not been doing it right by not comparing us? Or is the rest of, you know, the world around me getting everything wrong? And that, I had that little conflict in myself for a while, right? But growing, growing out of that space, I, I sort of like just got to realize that at different points in my life, the way people, even the way in which people would compare me to others, right, or my achievements would differ, right? And in some spaces that actually did not exist, right? And so it sort of like not only influenced my relationship with failure, but also sort of like my perception of the world around me and then what it means to sort of like interpret or interact with the different ways in which people want to paint a picture of who we are, who we should be. So a little bit of a conflict and dynamic there in terms of what I ended up taking out of those experiences, but I would say for the most part, it's still a growing process for me. I'm still sort of like trying to figure out where I fall or what my opinion or space is in, in that world where everything seems to be competition or comparison. Love, I'm loving this conversation right now. Jerry, let me loop you in here. Yeah, are there instances where comparison is good, when competition is at play, whether in the household? I know you said you grew up with siblings in the house. I'd love to hear how competition manifested in the household. But are there instances where, say, for example, the school ranking system that you touched on, right? Are there instances where that could be advantageous in that it fosters a competitive environment? Yeah, that's a loaded question, but I'm going to break it down. So first things, how did competition manifest in our household? I'd say it's very similar to Shadrach. I have a really smart big brother. He's one of the smartest people I know. I really like material, literally. And I remember growing up, I was always compared to him. And I, I mentioned earlier, I wasn't doing too well in school. I wasn't doing too well in school. And like, I'd always get the question on what's happening. Are you guys not from the same family? Do your parents give him like special food? And like, literally like really messed up my self-esteem. And I remember at some point my mom, my mom noticed and she was like, you know what? I'm going to pick my child and take her to an entirely different school. And so my mom picked me from like a school really close to home and transferred me to a school in a different province. Right. And I was clean slate. No one knew about my background. And I kid you not. I just became an excellent performer and I always say that just that move literally changed my life because I didn't feel the pressure to to live up to anything or be anyone else other than myself and I just became my authentic self and I always say similar to Shadrach it's a growing process because I found that in my early 20s I'm now starting to be conscious of my individuality and unlearn the things that I learned as a kid and I think a lot of the things that formed my identity when I was younger was I want to be like my big brother. I want to do as well as he does. I want to be excellent. And there was always that pressure, right? But now, now in my early 20s, as I'm returning to myself, and I call it that, like returning to myself and not have other things shape who I am and the, the things that inspire and motivate me, I'm constantly asking myself how important this is to me. In terms of the question that you just asked on how important is competition? I think competition is good in, in some spaces and in some contexts. I think the problem that I have with the current system is that merit and rewards go to people that excel in just one particular field, right? 
which is problematic because we are gifted differently. We are also diverse in the things that we are able to do excellently. And I don't think the system accounts for that. When I always like there's this quote that we used to read when I, I don't know if we were younger, uh, but that it will say something to do with having a fish climb a tree calling it like a loser for not being able to climb a tree. That's not the environment in which that fish would prosper, right? Um, so I'd say competition is good, but it's only good in spaces that are mindful of how diverse we are and all the gifts that we have. And I'm always like constantly pushing myself into a space where I can find the things that are truly me uh, and also be okay with not, just being okay with not being the best in spaces that are, not naturally me. I don't know if that even answers your question, uh, but yeah, I'm going to push it back to you. Yeah. No, it definitely does. We chose to forgive you for butchering that really beautiful quote. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for our listeners, if you guys know the actual quote, please drop it in our DMs. You know, we need to to help Njeri out with some of these these quotables. That's a beautiful take, Njeri. And when you said you're on this journey of returning to yourself, you know, I just had a a moment of nostalgia, bro. Because a lot of what you said about how your self-esteem can be, what's the word? Destroyed doesn't even like suffice. It just can be, yeah, like, because I think in our formative years, we really turn to the outside world in the context of this conversation, we turn to our communities for validation on our successes and our failures. And when I look at growing up, I was, my educational journey featured different education systems, right? So for a number of years in middle school, I was studying in New Jersey. So that was the American system. And then I came back to Kenya and went back to the school that I was in before I left. Came back to Kenya, finished primary school, and then I joined a public national school in, in Kenya, right? And so I've gone from one system in the United States back to the Kenyan system in a private school and then onto high school, right? Where I'm in a public national school with students from all over the country. And so one of the things that I've noticed is there has been an evolution in terms of this comparison and competition conversation modeled in the education system, where there are education systems which look at an individual holistically and reward and validate them holistically, where your academic success, let's say, as you mentioned, Jerry, the school ranking, your academic excellence in the classroom is held and hailed in equal measure as what you'd be able to accomplish, say, on the football pitch right, as a football player, or your success in the music festivals, or your success as as a dancer, right? And so some of this holistic perspectives that we see vary according to the education systems that we're in. And as you as you rightly mentioned, Jerry, you know, this, you know, we need to, to put a lot more focus in putting ourselves in spaces that are conscious of how diverse and uniquely skilled each of us are. And one of the things I, I just definitely would love to highlight with with both of our guests here is both of you have experience in the African Leadership University learning model. 
and this this i'm sure to some extent translated into the work that you that you both do as as learning experience designers and i'd love to hear from shadrach first right you have experience designing a graduate level diploma course for the rwanda national police could you walk us a bit through what that process was like and what are some of the key components that were top of mind for you in curating a course that holistically captures what a learning experience should be so I'll start by saying it was it was scary you know the question i got asked most frequently when i'd speak about this is you're an undergraduate student right what are you doing even attempting to design a graduate level course and that put a little bit of fear in me but i was also very conscious of the fact that like you mentioned you know my experience at the african leadership university and at the african leadership academy sort of like gave me um at least some level of street cred you know when speaking about or uh, leadership and for me it was this realization across both schools right that hit me this realization that one learning does not end right it's sort of like a continuous process prior to ALA i had always taught you know be done with school you know going to the workforce and then pour out all that knowledge that you've spent years gathering right but i realized that learning doesn't end it's a continuous process you have to you know continually learn in the different spaces you are right and so that gave me confidence in terms of you know being able to tell people way older than me accomplished senior police officers hey here are opportunities for you to learn here are spaces you can leverage that was one for me the second was essentially creating a space where learning experiences could differ from what i had been used to prior to ALA and ALU right i would like to think i've been in many different educational systems right from nursery school i've constantly changed right um and one recurring theme across these different systems is is the idea that you know we we are aware of the diversity within us but not all of those systems have accounted for that diversity in the way they teach and so being able to create experiences that embrace that diversity but also sort of like foster the first point of continuous learning so keeping in mind these are senior police officers that are used to rigidity right used to this aspect of like i said let's learn let's assess that learning let's go pour it back into the world right and for the most part the first reiteration of that course which was last year's last year a lot of the feedback we got i remember one specific survey response that said you guys give us kid activities to do right like you give us uh, uh, children activities to do and um, I, i don't know how i feel so the survey said i don't know how i feel about that and i was i was struggling with you know how to take that feedback as an experience designer knowing fully well that you know you've you've designed an experience and activity you have a purpose for it in mind but the way it's received is not necessarily what you envisioned right and so that gave me a lot to think about but i think through the process what i tried to do the most right aside from fostering that spirit of continuous learning and pushing that agenda uh, that we should learn outside our comfort zone something i was also consciously aware of was was allowing those offices or helping those offices see the world through a different perspective in my design right so thinking about how we take away that idea of rigidity or will not take it away completely but poke at it a little to allow them see the world 
differently to foster that sense of empathy in the work they do in the way they interact with their subordinates right and the way they interact with the larger communities for which they're responsible for so it was a lot of different combining like elements that i needed to take into account but at the core of it was fostering the idea of continuous learning and learning outside your comfort zone that's so incredible jerry hop in there um are there are this similar things that you've experienced to that speak to what Shadok has pointed out of fostering an environment of continuous learning. How was it like for you with your design process of curating such spaces? Yeah, and I think, again, as Shadrach said, we have so many similarities. I think for me, why I actually ventured into like the learning experience design is that I recognize that my formative education years really shaped, shaped me. And I remember transitioning into ALU and it was a shock to my system because for the first time, people wanted to see something beyond my academic excellence. It was, it was, yeah, your people's skills, um, your communication, that whole communication for impact. And my system was shocked because never before had anyone been interested in seeing me outside of my academic excellence. And just transitioning into what Shadrach has said, I think that whole process required for me to recognize that outside of intellectual rigor, there was something to do with emotional intelligence, right? How how aware are you uh, when it comes to your emotions? How empathetic are you when you're dealing with people? And how do you work in teams? But also, I think what that community gave me at that point was the realization that it was okay to fail. It was okay to not be good at everything, but still be celebrated in different aspects. And what that looks like for me now as a learning experience designer is always thinking about outside of what output or whatever output um, learners or participants in a learning experience can give in terms of excelling or scoring high grades is how can whatever learning experience we are providing translate into giving them a more fulfilled life and a more purposeful life? How do we use what they're learning to accelerate their impact outside? It doesn't just stop at the exam level. It doesn't just stop at output in terms of like their performance. It extends to spaces like their families and it extends to spaces like their communities. And I think that for me is why learning experience is so important. It has such a big impact and doesn't only stop at personal level. It translates to so many other things. That for me is what I find really inspiring and exciting about learning experience design in the way that we do it at Nia Delta. Yeah. Shout out to us. (laughs) Shout out out to Nia Delta. Um, And shout out to LU as well. I, I think they have really done a good job of creating spaces that foster the learning of some of these things, right? Emotional intelligence, empathy, right? How to, how to work, how to build and work in, in really good teams. A question came to mind when, when you were speaking, Jerry, and I want to tie this to some of the work that you've done with, with entrepreneurs. Shadrach mentioned you know, some of the challenges that he, he faced getting police and, and people of a certain age demographic to buy into these innovative models around our learning experience. With the work that you've done with entrepreneurs, Jerry, do you think it's possible to train people to have a very open mindset towards failure? Do you think it's easier for entrepreneurs by virtue of their occupation, right? The trial and error, you know, take risks, you know, have a startup, oh, it doesn't work out in six months, try again. 
What have you observed with entrepreneurs? Are they better poised to deal with failure because they're constantly faced with the possibility of it every day? Or it's just a general thing. Every single person in this world is faced the possibility of failure every single day. Just for context, I've worked with young Africans on the Alan Gray Entrepreneurship Challenge, which we both worked on, actually. I think what that experience taught me was that learning to not fear failure is a muscle, right? It's it's a muscle that you need to practice and that you need to exercise over and over again. And I, I think for entrepreneurs, because of all the challenges and all the fear, it, it gets to a point where you're like, you know what, what's the worst that will happen? And I think for me, <laughs> what we need to be doing as a society and especially as young people is challenging ourselves and putting ourselves in spaces that are new to us. And I love what Shadrach said about learning outside your comfort zone, because that's the only way you can train that muscle. You'll never know. You'll never know. And there's only one way to find out, and that's trying right? There's literally only one way to find out. That's by trying. I truly, truly believe that it's a muscle that everyone should, not not only entrepreneurs, that everyone should, should embrace. And I'm not saying this without the realization that some failures can be daunting because that's another reality we need to to to, to grapple with. It's fun of that a bit. I'm, I'm curious now. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's not that I'm going to try and fail and I'm going to be okay. There are some failures that are really daunting and I've I've been in spaces where like I really wanted to do something and I do it and I fail and I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to get this opportunity again, right? Either because of financial constraints or age limit. It's like, yeah, you're now age cut off. You can't do this next year. You're out. And so there is that recognition. But I think for me, what has really helped in this process has been using the lessons that I learned from failing and translating them into different spaces. I'm a big believer of I always win, whether it's winning by actually getting into whatever program or whatever level that I wanted, or whether it's winning by taking those lessons and trying to apply them into different spaces. I constantly like tell myself, Jerry, we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. And it's hard sometimes because yo guys, sometimes you fail and it's, it's too bad. It's too bad and get into depressive state. Um, and I think that's where community comes in because I, I've, I've been blessed, at least um, in my university life and in my workspace, to have people that really support and cheer me on. And I think it's just been a blessing in that in that sense. Yeah. I love hearing this, Jerry, and I, and also just just observing how you you consistently root for yourself. I think that's one of the consistent themes I've seen with the stories that you've shared and. I'd love to loop in Shadrach into the conversation. When Jerry spoke about, you know, some failures are quite daunting. I thought about instances where I dealt with failure the wrong way. And in retrospect, for like, I, I should I should have done better for myself. This is when the communities that we're part of have stepped in and have, have pacified us and have, have really encouraged us. They're those that really stand out and it's like a personal regret of, oh, I, I should have dealt with this differently or I should have I should have searched for for the learning out of the loss or out of the failure. Are there key moments that stick out in in your recent journey or is I should have I should have dealt with this failure better or I should have approached I should have come out of this situation in a better way and and if so would you would you love to share? Definitely. I think there's a lot of points in my life where I have failed and it has broken me. 
And there's also a lot of points in my life where I've taught that, you know, I could be doing better in terms of how I'm dealing with this failure. But I want to take a step back to my transition from high school, the end of secondary school, to LA. Um, I think that was one of the most transformative points in my life because it came with a lot of failure. And what I realized in the span of the two years was when there's a lot of failure, there's a lot of growth. So I often tell people the person I was at the beginning of 2018 and the person I was at the beginning of 2019 are two completely different people. And that change is due to all of the failure I experienced. More for me at that point was realizing the need to discover myself, right? And anchor my lessons in failure and my growth to who I am and who I'm becoming. And so for me, the transition was moving from a headspace where I had gone through so much failure. I I had failed at a relationship. I had failed at school. I had I felt like I had disappointed my parents because it was also at a point in my life where I was completely changing courses from being a full science student to saying, hey, I want to do a little bit of business and I, I, I really dig education. So I want to explore that too. And my dad, he did not take that very well. He struggled with that for a bit. It took him a minute to accept that. So I felt like I was failing in a lot of things. And all of that pushed me into this sort of like shell, this space in my life where I was like, I just need to stop trying, right? Just don't do anything. Just be in the shadows and observe other people because you seem to be failing at everything you touch. And so for my first few months that earlier, I remember I was doing the bare minimum, right? So do what you need to do. Don't do any extra and just go away. That way you don't get a chance to fail at anything. You don't, you don't really mess up anything. And then after a while, and, and I can't say for sure this is what caused this shift or this is what was responsible for that change. But after a while, I moved from that point of don't try anything to that point of maybe the reason you're failing is because you don't know, like you're not anchoring your growth lessons. Because I was past the point where I knew that, oh, there's growth in failure, right? So when you fail at something, you need to learn from it. But I'm like, where am I putting these lessons into, right? Where am I translating these lessons into? Where am I feeding or what are they feeding into? And so for me, it was now that realization that while I'm learning a lot of lessons, I need to sort of like anchor them by a mission or a vision or sort of like a purpose, right? So when I'm learning all of these lessons, I'm picking all these things up from failure, what should I be doing with them, right? And for me, is thinking about ways in which, you know, I can use those lessons to continually be or grow into the person I want to become, right? And that was essentially that shift for me from going into, okay, let me just stop trying things. Okay, let me keep trying, but ensuring that when I feel I'm properly utilizing those lessons as opposed to just gathering them and having no space to pour them into I loved hearing that, Shadrach. I think one of the key themes that stands out from what you said is seeing how intentional you were about this iterative learning process and experience that is life, where as much as we are learning, if it's rooted in values and virtue and in a mission, it's a lot more impactful. I think what I can see there is, is it going beyond just what is this lesson doing for me? What is this lesson teaching me? 
but what can my experience through this do for the world and the people around me and the communities that we're a part of? I think I definitely love of hearing that and just just in the same breath speaking about about being intentional one of the things that we've observed at philip africa over the past couple of months is just how how we have been intentional about creating spaces that encourage such conversations you know that encourage such such shared shared experiences and shared learning rooted in the simple yet phenomenal um, purpose of of reimagining our view of failure as a continent and just off the back of that conversation one of the key activities that we saw over the past couple of months was was the Philip Africa virtual experience and we were all a part of that and I'd love to hear uh, what are some of your standout memories from that experience and if if Injeri you could just give guys a bit more context for those who missed out hey our listeners those who were there I know you guys had a fantastic time for those who who missed out I'm sure Philip has something else cooking cooking in the back burner Injeri tell guys a bit about about how the virtual experience was Definitely. Uh yes, and first of all there is something cooking. Definitely. We are always cooking something. <laughs> Love um, to hear that. <laughs> but in terms of what the first of all virtual experience was a two-day event dubbed the art of failing up and essentially what we were doing is we were tapping into the power of community to just reimagine and relearn and unlearn all the things navigating failure, right? And I think for me the biggest um takeaway was that we all experience failure it is a human condition i think that's what i'd say failure is a human condition and just being in one space with close to 100 young africans who are sharing their experiences of navigating failure for me was phenomenal like i remember leaving that conversation and being like this is such a shared experience like i'm not the only one that's grappling with the fear of it i'm not the only one that's scared to put in applications i'm not the only one that's scared to and i think for me i think we need to build more spaces even in our communities where people are actually genuine about their experiences we all grew up in spaces where our parents are always like yeah i was the best student period i was always number 1 <laughs> and all our parents were always top of their class and there was always that pressure and i think what i got from the virtual experience or the gift that it was to me was just hearing that i'm not the only one grappling with this and there are indeed healthier ways to deal with failure there are tools and resources out there we have like a wonderful fail up toolkit that we used during the virtual experience that for me has been one of the things that i go back to often over the past few weeks and i've been thinking about just that art of reflecting and learning and taking out the new learning so Yeah, fail up virtual experience 100. I I really really enjoyed it. I'd like to hear how the experience was for you Shadrak. I I'd like to say you you said it all despite how cliche that response might be, but I do think that the experience actually gave me a chance to connect with people from around the continent on the idea of failure which was different for me, right? So I'm used to a lot of connecting on issues like business, right? Conservation, connecting with people around the continent on things leadership related, right? But it was the first time I was in a space where everybody was openly admitting and comfortable to the idea of failure, right? Saying, "Hey, I failed, right? Um and I know I'm going to fail again." and i fully accept that because i know what value there is from learning from my failures and that sort of like helped me revitalize the ideas of 
failure and how I, I deal with failure in my personal life. But also gave me a lot of hope for the future of the continent. You know, when we think about the future of the continent, we often talk about leadership and a lot of other things in that box of leadership and politics. And we don't really talk about, okay, what happens if, you know, as the larger community of concerned African youth, we fail to reshape the continent. What happens? You know, where do we go from there? What does that mean for us? Um, but seeing all these youngsters come together and openly embrace the ideas that failure is a possibility, but not the end, was really revitalizing for me. Failure is a possibility, but not the end. That is a beautiful way to wrap up today's conversation, Shedrak. Jerry, thank you so much for, for both of your time here on the podcast. And as we usually go out in style here in the Philip Africa, the podcast, we want to kick it off with the rapid fire question segment. You know, we're going to, to finish off on a very light note. We've impacted a lot. We've been vulnerable. I almost shed some tears here when Jerry was talking about her family. <laughs> but we're going to end on a very, very light note and and I have some quick fire questions for both of our guests today. So let me know if you guys are ready for this next segment. All good? Um, yeah. Good. All good. Okay. Let's, let's go. So the first question goes to Jerry. Knowing what you know now about failure, what advice would you give to your younger self? It's going to be okay. It's going to turn out fine. You're going to fail a lot. But yeah, you always come out at the end of it, despite how heavy and hard it is. Yeah. Beautiful. Shedrak, same question to you. I would say when you fail, fail well and do it again differently. Don't stop there. Just do it again differently. Shadrack is dropping quotes. Quotes. Our marketing team is going to have Shadrack all over the Instagram page. You guys just watch. <laughs> Next question. Shadrack, I want you to tackle this first. If you had a magic wand, what world problem would you solve? What world problem would I solve? That's a tough one. If you had a Thanos glove, pap, yeah. you just snap your fingers, it's gone. <laughs> I think I would like, it's not a problem per se. Mm. It's, it's, it's more like an idea, ideology. So more the idea that we need more shared empathy in the world, right? So fostering that idea of empathy. And this comes from a point of view where I feel like in the world we live in today, we have all the resources we need to solve a lot of the problems we already face. But to do that, there needs to be some more level of inclusivity and resource redistribution. And that doesn't happen without the existence of empathy. And so more empathy for everybody. You get empathy, I get empathy. Everybody gets a little more empathy type vibe. That's what everybody gets empathy. <laughs> Love, love, love that. Love that, Shadrach. And lastly, Jerry, what do you want to be remembered for? That's easy. I want to be remembered for holding spaces for people to be their most authentic self. Um, and I think that just goes back to what Shadrach said. Shared empathy, right? Um, modeling what that looks like and holding space for people to just show up as they are. Yeah, and I love a quote that says, I think the most creative you can ever be is just be yourself because there's literally no replica of you. So just being yeah. beautiful lovely listeners jerry just ended on a very accurate quote this time round of applause as we close off and and as we as we wrap up this this beautiful beautiful episode i just 
love to encourage every single one of you listening to think about what communities that you are currently a part of, right? What role are you playing in these communities? Are you pouring into these communities? Are you aware of how these communities are shaping your, your view on failure and what can you do to, to foster and cultivate spaces where their shared values and shared learning experiences and shared stories can move the continent and the world towards a better outlook and view on failure. As we wrap up this episode, we'd love to hear from you, members of our community, on how you perceive and navigate failure. Drop us a voice note in our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you guys. Also, let us know some of the people that you'd want to to hear from on this podcast. You know, we we have this ability of of bringing together some incredible faces from across the continent and we'd love you guys to play a part in, in curating this lovely lovely guest list for us here on the podcast if you'd love to learn more about fail up africa please check out our website at philupafrica.com and follow us on our instagram page at philupafrica it's been real i've been your local noisemaker any parting shots from Shadrach on Jerry as we wrap up? I'd just like to say thank you to Fail Up Africa. Being a part of this community is continually shaping me. And I hope it's doing the same for everybody out there that's listening. Sending love and light. Beautiful. And Jerry? Um, thank you so much for having us. And yeah, shout out to Fail Up Africa for everything that they're doing to um, support young Africans on the continent reimagine their relationship with failure. And I hope that we could all tap into this space. We want to have as many people join us in this movement. Let's go Africa. Let's go Africa. Thank you so much once again, Jerry and Shadrach, for your time. Lovely listeners, it's been real. See you on the next episode here at Fail Up Africa, the podcast. <laughs>